0: And a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is J.D. Koch. He's the Associate Rector at Christ Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. He's also a theologian. He did his doctorate in Systematic Theology at the University of Humboldt, dealing with issues of law and gospel as the boundary of theological reflection. I give you J.D. Koch. J.D., welcome. Back to the podcast. Thanks,
1: Scott. Great to be back. Yeah, we're excited. Great, to, good readings this great week. Great to talk with you. Yeah,
0: man. Yeah, we're well into Lent. Uh, you know, in, in Lenten tradition here, and our first Lenten reading is from Joshua chapter five, verses nine through twelve. Here we have the Lord saying to Joshua, "I've rolled, I've rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. What a great yeah. uh, phrase! And then they no longer eat manna." but they they eat you know the crops of the land there's a sort of transition from the manna from heaven into the Yeah,
1: I was reading, doing some prep for this, as you were probably thankful for, but um, I was, you know, in the context of of the whole sort of Joshua narrative, as it were, you know, we've just had them cross over. They've made their uh, piles of, you know, remembrance that will be, you know, uh, pointed at from generations to come about the Lord and his mercy to bring them out of Egypt. And then we have this, this, um, this place where the real transition, the one that had been foretold Obviously, um, are the promised through uh, Moses that he never saw that now they have entered the promised land and no longer are subsiding on um, God's um, sort of miraculous provision through the manna, but actually coming to the sort of more direct provision from the land itself. um, It's a beautiful, it's it's a really beautiful um, and poignant moment, I think. In the, it, you, I was thinking about this as as they would be teaching it to their um, children and grandchildren and great grandchildren, and sort of reminis- reminiscing about the the periods in the desert before they were in the land. And um, and you know, I was reflecting on the just the sort of the, for lack of a better word, the liturgical reality of of. Um, sort of remembrance as it were like the the idea that we that we mark these passages um, that future generations will continue to um, to celebrate um, and that's you know the connection to sort of linton disciplines or or the i mean the service itself uh, not the least of which but was really sort of remarkable i thought i thought or sort of an interesting connection point
0: yeah, and it's interesting, right? That they that earlier there's that great line in Joshua, right, where where they're told that you know, remember when God called your ancestors? I guess he's talking about Abraham here, you know, from beyond the Euphrates, who worshipped other gods. So you're literally it's just like creation is ex nihilo. Yes. It's like the children of Israel. It's like here's a here's a couple that as childless who yes. worship, they're physically barren, they're spiritually barren. They call them back to that. And then there's this earlier, then there's the circumcision kind of uh, mention here. And then the Passover. So it's like the initiatory, right? The, you know, the renewal, right? And then there's this, and then there's this inheritance of, 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 of the land. So there's this almost like this, the, the, the whole journey of Israel uh, in miniature. Yes. No.
1: It's Pretty it's sure. unbelievable, and I think it's, you know, if you if you read the prophets, I mean, they don't have a lot of new things to say, um, even up and through the the apostles in the New Testament, and almost not exclusively, but one of the main points that they keep um, reiterating is that the people have forgotten, you know, forgotten God, forgotten their forefathers, forgotten what He has done for them, and I was just struck by this that you know that this predates obviously our our church lives by millennia, but nevertheless, the, the, the human. Propensity for forgetfulness. Um, the Lord actually had a provision for that in the um, interaction with our physical bodies and sort of the, the the ritual aspects. I mean, people like you know James K. Smith and these guys are writing all about these liturgies of life and things, and it's just all they're doing, which is perfectly fine. I mean, insofar as it goes, but they're simply just putting sort of modern words or modern takes on what we see all throughout Scripture, which is that ideas, disembodied ideas. Um, uh, are easily forgotten, you know, and I think this is where, I mean, circumcision, not the least of which I always reminds people, you know, it's a very easy way to remember you were part of the chosen uh, family, you know, the older you got, the more frequently you were reminded, of course, <laughs> but never the, Yeah, right in the locker room. That's, you just right, that's <laughs> right, and it was, you know, that's pretty effective, I would imagine.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting, Fre- Frederick Schleiermacher, the great early 19th century Protestant he theologian, defined, he defined the essence of sin as God forgetful. Yes,
1: that's good. That's good. Okay. Where basically
0: you're, you're cut off, like the the the. the. You know, you know, basic, lower, lower primal things, things of life sort of block out remembrance this remembrance of God. Okay. And we kind of... Yeah, well, you could even you see
1: know, that, I mean, not to get too far afield, but the if you go back to the primal sin in the garden, you know, the question, did God really say, um, presupposes right. Right. Yep. a certain forgetfulness that, well, maybe he didn't say, you know, I mean, who is this God after all? Or perhaps he doesn't have my best intention, you know, perhaps I... Um, maybe I'm I know better. You know, these are all the type forgetfulness which of course we're so prone to. But I think during Lent in particular, what I've been focusing on in my teaching and preaching in my own Personal life is, is you know, this prayer of repentance, which has less to do with sort of a mortification, um, you know, sort of a self-flagellation, than it does a genuine prayer of Lord, help me repent of my forgetfulness. Help me repent of my um, propensity to 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 go my own way, and you know, which of course has its negative uh, you know uh, realities which i um you know often painfully aware of but nevertheless i think that part of a a healthy cross center linton devotion is very much a a um a graceful yet rigorous prayer against oneself in the knowledge of how easily we can forget for sure
0: yeah i also th- think that there's something interesting here where y- you have you-, you always hear that that the, the phrase, that, you know, the tenses of salvation, there's one sense in which when we were saved 2,000 years ago, right? And there's another sense that we're being saved, like God is prop constantly... Yeah, it's a good
1: heiress, Scott, yeah. you, know, yeah. you know this. Exactly. In the past, yeah. completed in the present. Uh, yeah. Continues and to then, the future.
0: Yeah, and then there's the future that continued, yeah. And here you see that, like, you know, the, there's this sense in which they're on this pilgrimage and they eat of the land. You know, you, you think of this, I think of Abra- Abraham when's, when he eats the bread and the wine that's put out for Melchizedek, he's eating in a land he doesn't possess. And yet he's eating victoriously after this military battle, and yet he doesn't possess the land. And it's like the, the, these children are eating in the land that he was... And that it's like every Eucharist, right? Every Eucharist is this time between the times where we're sort of... It's the aorist meal.
1: Yes, praise God. And I love, you know, I, I always I'm always struck by how fruitful the reflection on... These accounts can be when you actually consider yourself in the middle of it, you know, not, you know, sort of take away the, the, the fog of history, take away the sort of the um, where it's situated in the liturgical calendar and whatnot, and just consider being sort of a normal 40-year-old father of, you know, four or five and trying to make sense of what had happened, where you're going, who you are, and then taking comfort however slight at times but certainly over 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 a lifetime great comfort in um in the repetition of it. And, and, and I see the connection to my own appreciation of the, of the communion service, um, a hundred percent in that, in that, you know, there's some Sundays when, you know, I don't know where, what end is up, but I'm still there, you know, and there's some Sundays that it's the most transcendent thing in the world. And there are others, you know, and there's everything in between. And yet I take great comfort that my life, albeit distance in time, um, is not altogether different than these, Fathers and grandfathers and mothers and sisters and children that were um, wandering through the wilderness and now feasting in the new, midst of their new land. You know, I love that. Thanks for the memory of sentimental verse,
0: nothing in my purse, and chuckles when the preacher said, for better or for
1: worse.
0: I love- on to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 21 here. we got this great passage where Paul is in this sort of defending his apostolic authority before this to these people who have fallen under the spell of sort of the super apostles, the, the Joel Osteen-type spectacular prosperity-type preachers.
1: And apostles, says, yes.
0: Yeah, he says, from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from that point of view, we no longer know him in that way. And then, you know, that great phrase, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation, the old has passed away. Everything's new, and all this is from God. And you have that great phrase that, that Christ became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God.
1: Well, there's no, no small amount of inks built on that um, little sentence right there. But um Yeah, I mean, this is an amazing passage, and I think that what I'm struck, just as an aside, is how, if you literally just read this, how um, ill-equipped most people are, um, just by the fault of their ministers, uh, I have to say, to um, make any sense of it at all, except for um, the message of reconciliation, perhaps. So that's just an aside, sort of on my soapbox there. But, you know, I think that the... That's
0: that you say that, because I think this is like, this is just the essence... It's funny, even atheist Marxists like Zizek yeah. appreciate this about Paul, that, that this, you know, he's like, gosh, this is a real revolutionary from Marx. but look at this, he's has this historical event to create a whole new reality. I mean, Paul said, look, like, you know, we missed the Christ, you can miss the Christ event if you looked at it through the wrong...
1: Yeah, lines, I can right? see that. I can see I'm, I'm having some <laughs> other uh, conversations in my head going on. But,
0: but this is this is just so radical that here it is. Like that now we are our, our whole stories, our failures, our our prejudices, our sin, our shared guilt, everything is transformed by this other point of view that that, that turns on the on the cross.
1: Yeah, and this this word reconciliation, you know, the catalasso, um, it's 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 a powerful concept in Paul, and I think this is really the crux <laughs> appropriately of the issue is that in order for there to have been reconciliation, you know, this is where we get into law and gospel, that presupposes a former enmity, you know, which is really the the stumbling block there. Because for those who are being reconciled through the cross, you know, for those who have seen in their lives the need to, um, to search for reconciliation, to search for amendment in some way, shape, or form, then this becomes a very uh, freeing message. But the problem is that, you know, not the the problem, but the difficulty lies in the fact that, as Paul saw, particularly in Corinth, that um or, or across his ministry, and we by extension, um the first word of God is often um you know that's hard to hear. You know, the second word is beautiful to sing, but the first one is difficult to digest. I mean, to put it lightly. And I think that's why he says in other places, you know, you who have, uh, or in, in uh, I was thinking Galatians, you know, even points out you who have seen it publicly portrayed before you, Christ crucified. Like how can you, of all people, knowing that this was the, the end of the enmity, be, turn away from this to go for something else? And I think that the, 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 the sort of pithy theological, um. Sort of Statement that he makes here is 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 unbelievably um, profound. I mean, he simply says this is the reconciliation that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting trespasses. So there's the sort of legal aspect of, but entrusting the message of reconciliation to us, and so therefore that's what we do. And I think it's a, um, you know, obviously it's an instruction in a certain sense for preachers. But then if we understand obviously the priesthood of of all believers, then we realize as I often say to my People that people are 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 clamoring for this word of reconciliation, you know we just have to start learning how to listen for it. you know people are dying to be to be absolved people are are searching for um, this 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 beautiful this beautiful reconciliation. And when we hear what they're saying, sort of cutting through um, the the justifications and the sort of obfuscation, then we are in a better place to simply do what Paul is entrusting, you know, claiming to do by apostolic authority, but then entrusting the church to do, which is to be ambassadors for Christ through us. We are making this appeal through ourselves. He says, we entreat you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And I, I love that. I think it's a, um, it's it's you know sort of gets to the heart of, of the entire um, sort of work and witness of the church, really. Um, yeah,
0: and as Jesus says to the woman at, at Simon the Pharisee's house, right, that you know the one who is forgiven much loves much. The one who's forgiven little loves little. I mean, it's almost like Paul saying, look, you want to the the training school for proclaiming and bearing witness this reconciliation is considering your own need of
1: forgiveness. Amen. Yeah. I think that's good. I've had, I found it difficult though. I think it's, um, (laughs) I've taken great comfort in the apostle Paul as I often have my entire life, but not the least of which in continuing to be a preacher, because I find that the, um, you know, as Luther pointed out, you know, the gospel without, without the law is, you know, sort of, sort of negates both the power of both, you know? And, um, and I think that's why it's, it's our job, and I think this is where we pray for when our relationships with people that 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 are real and meaningful to have these entrees where we can, we can be a Nathan to their David. You know, we don't have to come into them and say, you know, stand on a street corner with a, you know, here are the ten things that are, you know, turn or burn sort of thing. But there is a, there is a prayerful listening, both in our own lives and in the lives of those we love. You know, as we love them as ourselves, to pray that we can be aware of the areas of unreconciled relationship to god and then be always quick to point out that that this is the message we've been given that he who knew no sin became sin you know he made him to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of god that there is no that you know it's it sounds cliche but would that it was so cliche that we would just take it for granted that, that our sins, as egregious as they may be, particularly during, as we reflect on them during Lent, nevertheless have been, um, completely atoned for. You know, the once full, perfect, sufficient satisfaction, oblation for the sins of the world. I mean, that's, that'll preach, you know, and I think that, um, it doesn't necessarily preach in the same way that the super apostles can preach because it doesn't appeal to necessarily initially what's best in you, but 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 it does help root out what is true about you when they hope that in the trust, actually, that God will redeem. That's that's the great goal.
0: Yeah, It's interesting. Brene Brown, how does she put it? The thing is about shame that no one wants to talk about it. But then the paradox is the less you talk about it, the more you have. And that's the nature of our own guilt and sin. It's right that, that no we don't want to talk about it, right? And you what you're saying is the law does prick and expose that, but they but the less we talk about it, the more of it we have. at the self defeating cycle. That's right? right.
1: I've been I found it really powerful this Lent we have used the um decalogue and the penitential rite um, just during the season. And when understood the decalogue when understood as, you know, sort of ratcheted up in the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus does, you know, it I mean you can start feeling your your hands and Feet sweating a little bit, you know. With like, when he says, "If you think about your um, someone with anger in your heart, you murdered them," you know. And you say, "Do not commit murder." You know, "Do not commit murder." You know, if you think of someone lustfully without, well, then you have committed adultery. If you covet, you have, you know, um, forfeited all of your trust in the Lord and all these things. And you say, "Lord, have mercy." In a much in a newer way, and I think that's to get to your point about shame is that you know, we're the, the fear. I mean, I think this is what the preacher does. I think this is what Paul does so well is that there's no, there's no use in sugarcoating what your problem is. I mean, for first for us and then for those around us, if we love them, but there's also no, there's no, there's sh- no, uh, there's no use in in shortcutting the radical proclamation of what God has done in Christ for them. And I think that's where a lot of ministers fall short, is that we're happy to expose the sin. It's like, but then you're like a doctor, you've left someone open on the table. And it's like, well, we did excise that that growth, but we have something wonderful to say now too. And that's a, that's a difficult thing to believe, and it's a difficult thing to, it's easy to hear. Um, but, you know, going back to the remembrance, if that were the, if that was, I guess I'm talking to myself, if that would be a sort of job description is the, you know, the, the constant reiteration of this incredible message of reconciliation that we've been given with great precision about fearlessly opening people up, but then never, never once hesitating in the moment to, to offer them this incredible statement that he who knew no sin became sin so that in him you me all by faith can become the righteousness of god i mean that's um that's tough but it's powerful for sure i can see clearly
0: to the gospel room we got luke 15 1 through 3 uh, 11b yeah, right through 32 that's uh yeah yeah it's uh i said something sunday i was like well you know the well-known parable and i said wait if i say like that you th- you feel dumb if you haven't heard it. well the somewhat decently known parable. that's right the I, often right
1: now, the, the mostly the mostly understood f- frequently heard parable um
0: but, but I love that the lectionary adds verses one through three before the prodigal son because this the context is as the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to Jesus and the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them and then Jesus just goes let me tell you a couple stories right here's let me tell you about a lost sheep a lost coin. And, and, and then lost sons really like there's two lost sons right i mean
1: well, I think that's, uh, then... that's a really good point scott that's very i think it's more often stated now if people have been reflecting on it it's not the it's not the parable of the prodigal son it's really the parable of the two lost sons you know and i think that's you know i never forget i had a conversation with james dunn you know of great um pauline new testament fame once and he was um I was at the embarking on a, what will apparently turn out to be a lifetime of reflecting on the theology of the cross. And I'll never forget him saying that, you know, because he has his own issues with, um, with the theology of the cross or whatever. But the point of the conversation was that he, he said, well, son, here's a question that you're going to have to wrestle with. And one that is really at the forefront of this whole thing is why couldn't Jesus have just come down and preached or taught the parable of the prodigal son? like that was his question because it seems like in and of itself it depicts who God is how he relates to both the older son and the younger son and why is it that um that wasn't enough you know and i think of course that leads us to the back to the previous two passages is that it wasn't enough because the the depth of our need was much greater than just forgetting and or um not hearing but we are but but I think that this this parable, um, you know, does point to a certain understanding of God before the cross that had to be sort of reworked after the cross. Because, you know, the, the plight of the two sons was both of them were complicit in ultimately what we would see the death of the father, not just the rejection of the father, but, you know, the, the manipulative sort of stance of the older son over the father that was came out in such, um, you know, sort of like a bride head revisited sort of passive aggression, you know, sort of thing, um, is, uh, is just as murderous and just as dark as the sort of, you know, screw you, I'm taking my money and going off to Vegas as the younger son. And I think that the, that outside of the contemplation of, of the, the depth of, of sin, which of course is appropriate during Lent, then we could read this parable as a, um, as as much less profound than it actually ultimately would turn out to be um and i've heard it preached that way of course you know don't be an older son you know those of your younger sons uh come home and those of your older sons like chill out and there's some truth in that you know i mean that's helpful in so far as it goes but the the real reality like good friday liturgy or the palm sunday liturgy is that no one's hands were clean at all in this situation and that the father who um Showed his mercy and beneficence to his two sons was nevertheless the same one who would then be, um, subject to the rejection and, and death on a hill alone, you know, for their sakes, you know, he who knew no sense. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's, I've had a lot of food for thought in that. I mean, I wouldn't say it's the only interpretation, but I, I find it has been enriched, um, when you consider the plight and the the lostness of both the sons as being equal, um, not not simply, you know, one sort of was the do-gooder and one was the, the rebel kid, but that they equally were complicit in this total misunderstanding of their father and ultimately yeah. murderously.
0: Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. There's this book by Ken Bailey, the great, New Testament scholar who was who's a, who's a missionary in the, near, in the Middle East for most of his adult life. It's called the cross and the prodigal. And he talks about the atonement theology in this parable. And he said, you know, at, at one level you could call it, I don't know if he says this or I've heard, but it, prodigal literally means to spend your substance away. Right. And so the fact that he would give the inheritance away half of the inheritance, basically the son saying, I want you dead now. He says that, 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 that Jesus is, is the Father, and he talks about how you know, the, 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 the prodigal doesn't really repent. He comes to himself, right? He's rehearsing his speech. He's, he doesn't really, isn't healed until he sees the Father. He says everything, he has this great parable, or phrase, he says that, you know, there's this ancient Near Eastern kind of proverb that says, you can tell the dignity of a man by the length of his stride. So the rich person with flowing robes would never run because you'd have to hike up yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and look like what you have to you're, hike you're up your loin. skirt. Yeah, you'd you look silly, right? So, like, so he's running out to meet him like a mother would. And so, not only is there the self humiliation of of because you don't have liquid assets, give me the, half the inheritance. It's like, there's cash. Okay, so everybody in the town square is seeing this, is seeing that, that this. Well, what are you doing? Well, my son just said, "F you, I want you dead," and so. What, well, what are we going to do? We're going to kill him? No, I'm dividing up all my assets. Yeah. And so so everybody would have said forever, look at that idiot. There's the idiot, uh, you know, that, that led his son. here, And then taking him back and all this is the self-humiliation of, of this father. And so you see that this is, you know, the, the, the father is a real Christ figure in that he gives of himself to bring the sons to him.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. And I think it's only... You know, it's only the double cut in light of the you know Good Friday and Easter morning because then it going back to the to Paul and going back to um, you know the other readings that the the revelation of the enmity was something that was unfathomable. I mean, because if you ask if you ask any of us individually, um, do we warrant you know are we at enmity with God? We say, well, not me so much, but there are enough people out there that I'm sure he needed to do something you know um but the 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 work of the holy spirit is not in a in a sort of shame based way but in a in a loving for the sake of ourselves and neighbor way to begin to confess that you know, this was darker than than I could ever expected, and it doesn 't need to get morose or sort of nihilistic, but in light of this message you know that that we have been revealed as both you know simultaneously the at times good the 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 prodigal son and the the older son, and that both of these are trying to uh, manipulate control and um, and basically use God to their own ends and he not only won't let us do that, or he, he let us get to the, his own end, but then came back and, you know, as Paul would say, let us show you a more beautiful way. And, you know, that's, I, I I wrestle with these things because the, you know, the, going back to the first reading, the, the, as a father, as a, as a pastor, as a friend, as a husband, as a person, you know, the, the long sort of so, the long walk of this is often frustrating that I wish it was sort of a more of a of a um, well, I heard this, and now I know who God is, and so therefore i won 't forget i 'll understand the theology and i 'll i 'll get my act together, and I realize that it 's more um, it's longer than that, but the the etching, you know, I think of like a dripping creating a canyon in a rock or something like the etching becomes something indelible, and thankfully, in light of God's mercy something that we can courageously expect because he's promised to 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 do this work in us um, and I'm,
0: yeah, it's like the once for all and the again and again, right and any higher and deeper is only from the again and again of the once for all. it's not you know there's, there's yeah. Well, J.D., thanks for doing this, and blessings in your preaching and teaching, and to all our listeners.
1: All right. Take care, bud.
0: Thanks for listening to the Snaxus Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground Thanks again to JD for coming on the podcast and thanks to you for listening. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.